there is a power that lies dormant within each of us, a creative force waiting to be awakened. Potentials of mind, science barely understands. Harnessing the energies of consciousness is the next chapter in human evolution. Join us as we explore the secrets of mind and the technology and people behind the revolution. This is the Mind Warrior Project. This is Zygon. Did you ever happen to see the Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan comedy film called Joe versus the Volcano? It came out in 1990. It was quirky and a cute film about a depressed guy working in a crappy job. And after he was diagnosed with a terminal illness they called a brain cloud, he was then hired by a billionaire to jump into a volcano in the South Pacific. Well, that's the basic plot. But what's the movie really all about? It's about the inner struggle of life and knowing what's important and about how we fall into this trap of making decisions based on fear rather than living a life of being totally fulfilled. Let me play a clip from the movie where they're about to board a boat and the Meg Ryan character is telling the Tom Hanks character about what her father told her about the world. Here is that clip. Your life seems unbelievable to me. All of this like life seems unbelievable to me. My father says that almost the whole world is asleep. Everybody you know, everybody you see, everybody you talk to. He says that only a few people are awake and they live in a state of constant, total amazement. So what does that mean? That 1% of the world who are awake are in a constant state of total amazement while the other 99% are asleep? Is there something in life that the 99% may not be seeing or experiencing? Does the 1% that are in a constant state of total amazement have a special power or aliveness that enhances the quality of their life? What do I even mean by joining this 1% club and living in that state of total amazement? Is this even a real thing or just a Hollywood storyline? If it is a real thing, is it something we should all be part of? And what do you get for being part of the 1% Club? I'm Dane Spots. Let's find out. Okay, before I get into the big story here, let me do a quick promo for the new Zygon MindPower app, which you can download now in the app stores and become a mind warrior with hundreds of mind development programs that will help you rewire your inner mind for success. Enjoy instant relaxation and eliminate self-sabotaging behavior. Just type in Zygon, Z-Y-G-O-N, in your app search and download it. Okay, let's get back to our movie analysis. And the big payoff here that I really want you to get down to your toes. The movie, Joe vs. the Volcano, was written and directed by John Stanley and produced by Steven Spielberg. Though not a blockbuster, it was great in its own way for the message it conveyed. It's about having the courage to prioritize happiness over all the other BS that life throws at you and being able to see it. But there's something even more here, more profound, and I want to share it with you because it's important, really important. When we first meet Joe, 
He's working in the world's worst office. The fluorescent lights overhead are buzzing and popping. There's no windows. And Joe's nightmarish day consists of punching in and punching out as we hear this song playing during his tedious, boring workday. Joe knows the job is robbing him of his soul. In fact, he even says it. I'm losing my soul, he says in one of the film's many poignant moments. Joe feels trapped, but where else would he go? What else could he do? How do you pay your bills without a paycheck? Well, upon being diagnosed with a brain cloud, which is a death sentence he's led to believe, Joe finds the courage to quit his job, and he's convinced, given a bunch of money, to sail to an island and jump into a volcano, which was actually planned by the billionaire played by Lloyd Bridges because he wants the island's indigenous people to sign over their mineral rights. Anyway, the message is clear. You'll never be truly free, as the opening to the film tells us, if you've sold your soul to the company store. But there's something more here going on than just that. In a key scene in the movie, after Joe and the Meg Ryan character's boat is lost at sea and they're floating around on their luggage that's tied together, in fact, he's almost dead from dehydration. And then the moon rises, and it's huge. And he stands up, and he sees this amazing full moon, and it hits him like someone just flipped a switch in his mind. Here's that clip from the scene where the Tom Hanks character, Joe Banks, finally gets it. Dear God, whose name I do not know. Thank you for my life. I forgot how big drink any water for yourself, Joe. We're going to explore that state of constant total amazement in this special report, which is for real. 99% of the world, perhaps even more, is mostly asleep. Flatliners is what I call them. They're sleepwalking through life and barely experiencing the total majesty and gift of a beautiful tapestry of life and activity going on all around them. And those handful of people that are awake see and experience their daily existence on an entirely different level. We're going to talk about what that means to be part of this 1% club. And not only what you see and experience differently than the rest of humanity that only gets occasional glimpses of, but how to get there. How to pierce that self-imposed brain cloud veil, if you will, and create a new mind that allows you to see and experience a new reality right before your very eyes, as if God suddenly turned on the light switch and illuminated the world. Hang in there with me. It's important we get to the punchline in this report, as there is a huge payoff if you stay with me through this narrative. What if you had more money? Let's say all the money in the world. 
Does that automatically make you happier in a one percenter? No, it certainly does not. What's the point of having more money than you need? Security? Comfort? Sure. Those are all good reasons. To accomplish big projects? Yes, of course. But it doesn't make you a one percenter, nor does it make you happy. There's nothing wrong with having money and being comfortable unless it's an obsession, and then it's a problem. In fact, it may remove you from the process of struggling and seeking, which is part of feeling more alive. Let's delve down into this idea a bit, because there's something to be revealed here that's significant. There's an inventor and author who I greatly admire. You may have heard of him. His name was Buckminster Fuller. He was called Earth's friendly genius. You may recognize him by one of his many inventions, the geodesic dome, or the word synergy. He invented that word. His story is an interesting one and someone worth studying because of this. In his early career, he invented lots of things, but was a failure in business. He would invent things and try and get them funded, and people would steal his ideas, and the business would fail. Pretty much everything he tried in his early years failed. He reached a pivotal point in 1927 at the age of 32. Fuller lost his job, his family had no savings, and the birth of his daughter added to his financial challenges. Fuller drank heavily, and in the autumn of 1927, contemplated suicide by drowning himself in Lake Michigan so his family could benefit from a life insurance payment. Then something happened. As he was about to throw himself in the lake, he felt as though he was suspended several feet above the ground enclosed in a white sphere of light. A voice spoke directly to him and said this, You do not have the right to eliminate yourself. You do not belong to you. You belong to the universe. Your significance will remain forever obscure to you, but you may assume that you're fulfilling your role if you apply yourself to converting your experiences to the highest advantage of others. Fuller later wrote that this experience led him to a profound reexamination of his life. He ultimately chose to embark on a life experiment to find out what a single individual could do by contributing to changing the world and benefiting all of humanity. His life experiment was basically this. He would study the principles that govern the universe and be aligned to them, never against them, in such a way that it would advance the evolution of humanity in accordance with them by finding ways to doing more with less so that all people everywhere could have more. He saw himself as a guinea pig for God and would document his life as an experiment to see if this idea could succeed. Just before he died in 1983, here's what he said. I'm now close to 88, and I'm confident that the only thing important about me is that I'm an average healthy human. I'm also a living case history of a thoroughly documented half-century search and research project designed to discover what, if anything, an unknown, moneyless individual with a dependent wife and a newborn child might be able to do effectively on behalf of all humanity that could not be accomplished by great nations, great religions, or private enterprise, no matter how rich or powerfully armed. And indeed, 
his life, his experiment was a huge success. A pioneer in thinking globally, inventing things in the fields of architecture, engineering, and design that still impact us to this very day. His greatest discovery of all was what he observed in nature and used it as a tool for his future inventions that allowed him to see things from an entirely new perspective. He called it the principle of precession, an idea that if you choose to apply it in your life will change how you see the universe and your role in it, and likewise, how you're rewarded by it. Precession is a powerful idea that can change your perspective on the struggle of your life, as I like to call it. And I think add to your aliveness in totally unexpected ways that will have you going, hmm, an awful lot. Let me get into that now. The concept of precision developed by Buckminster Fuller, Bucky as his friends call him, is basically an observation of nature and how it functions. It's the effect that bodies in motion have on each other that precedes them causing an effect. Thus the term precession. Let me give you an example. The gravitational attraction of the sun and moon cause the earth to act in a certain way. The sun and the earth are both bodies in motion. And despite the 180 degree gravitational pull of the in motion sun on an in motion earth, precession makes the earth's orbit around the sun in a direction that is at 90 degrees, a right angle, to the direction of the sun's gravitational pull. The effect is something we never really think about, but it's just how the solar system works. If you drop a stone in the water, you get a ripple effect spreading out at 90 degrees to the direction of the dropped stone. Nature replicates this processional effect everywhere. The best story that Fuller tells of it is of the honeybee. The honeybee is out collecting nectar from plants to bring back to its home to make honey, which is food for the hive. At 90 degrees to his body along his flight path, his legs inadvertently gather pollen from one flower and then accidentally take this pollen to the next flower, resulting in cross-pollination. The process contributes to life on Earth in a very big way. The bee is completely unaware of his important role that he plays in the pollination of plants, as he's very busy collecting the honey he needs for his family to survive. The precisional effect occurs everywhere in most things. We just don't see it. It happens with all of us in the modern human kingdom as well. When we're out to achieve a goal in life, we're in motion and going about our business. There is always a processional effect that is mostly unpredicted by our original action. Let me explain further. Humans are creatures seeking money, like the bee does in collecting honey. When we go for a job, we start a business, it's part of our survival method in society to seek out ways to create income and earn money. Like a honeybee, we go after money, which is our form of honey. We're a body in motion, bumping into other bodies in motion. And as we do this, we can't help but have a processional effect on other things we might bump into. The people we encounter, the things we make, the things that fall out at 90 degrees from our honey-money-seeking path. 
We touch others' lives. We add to the greater good in ways we never see. It's a side effect of bodies in motion. Our labors, our creativity stir the universe in a certain way. And this is important. Bucky saw all this, these side effects, as in fact nature's main effects. The point of the honeybee, chasing from flower to flower, collecting honey, but in fact its main purpose, which is a very important one, was to pollinate the flowers. The bee is completely oblivious to this. So once Bucky realized this, and it was a revelation, he decided to adopt the processional effect in reverse, making the side effect his prime objective for everything, for all future projects in his life. In other words, rather than go after the honey money, he decided if he supported nature as his main model for inventing things and committed to doing the greatest good for humanity and nature, that his actions as a body in motion would automatically be supported by the universe in the form of whatever he needed, like the money to finance his projects and support himself and his family. Just as the honeybee operated, adding value to the system of what nature already supported, the universe will provide. According to his theory, it has to. And by simply staying in motion, not being paralyzed by fear or depression, we can have a significant positive impact on the system and these side effects will provide the support we need. Get it? This is the unseen hands idea I've talked about before, coming out of nowhere to lift you up just at the most desperate moment you need them. And so as his personal experiment unfolded to prove his theory, he documented his life for the next 50 years. And his operating principle was to apply this processional concept with everything he did. Was his life a success, and did his theory bear fruit? Well, I would say it certainly did, and it certainly did change the world. If you want to read more about this, I highly recommend the book Critical Path by Buckminster Fuller. I think it was one of his last books where he goes into detail about his life and the future of humanity. It's a great read. But what does the Bucky story say about being part of the 1% Club? Humans that live in a state of constant total amazement. Well, I think it's this. It's all about the struggle, the journey. This is what stimulates creativity to solve problems, motivates your thinking, and makes you more aware and alive. The payoff is living an extraordinary life, filled with curiosity and discovery. Success isn't measured by what's in your bank account when you die. It's by all those flowers you've pollinated along your journey. So how do you then cultivate the fully alive mind and join this very exclusive club of one percenters who are totally blown away by the experience of living every day in a state of ecstasy and childlike curiosity? Well, the trick is not having to be diagnosed with a terminal brain cloud and agreeing to jump into an active volcano before you get it. Before you realize often too late that you can live fully right now without any conditions. There are three things that will help you get into the 1% Club. And even doing these three doesn't necessarily mean you're there instantly, as it's a constant transformation battle. A process of awakening that, until like magic, everything looks different. 
and you go from being a flatliner to someone with a pulse that's fully awake. The three things are, first, having a self-realization that awakens you from your slumber. You begin to see the connectedness of things, how big life is. And like Bucky and Joe did, what's been there all along suddenly takes on a new meaning because you really see it for the first time. This is part of creating that new mind you hear me talk about all the time, which doesn't make sense until you've crossed over a few times and see what it's like on the other side. You've experienced it, you've had glimpses, but the goal is to live it 100% of the time. But you need to have this self-realization first, that such a place and a feeling even exists. And if you're like Joe Banks, punching in and out of the company store and losing your soul one day at a time, you may not even be aware of it. So how do you get this realization process going? Well, if you're still with me, you obviously know there's something missing or you know what I'm talking about. Remember, this is not something you lack or need to acquire. It's just a way of seeing. How do you jolt your system out of that flatliner state and get a real pulse? Do something that forces you out of your skin. Shift into another gear. Go on a road trip by yourself. Go find that gigantic moon. Chase a sunset. Get out of your comfort zone. Do that research project you keep putting off. Go skinny dipping. Roll down a grass hill like you did when you were a kid. Pull off the road. Stop. Look around. Hold a newborn in your arms. Pull an item off your bucket list and just do it. Give something valuable away to someone who needs it and look into their eyes. There's magic going on all around you. You just have to go out and find it. The second thing, which may be part of your self-realization and something that will jolt you out of your slumber is this. You're going to die. Let me repeat that. You are going to die. Shocking? Not really, but blunt perhaps. Most of us never really think about it because it's too frightening. I suggest you revel in it because it will shock you awake. Look at the two characters I use as examples in this report. One fictional and one real. Both had transformational experiences at the moment they decided they were going to die. And then something intervened. The moment of death brought them to life. Like I said, you're going to die. Realize the power in that. And then realize that today is not that day. You're alive and you're privileged to live this day. Do your best to soak it all up. Sounds silly, but it can be transformational. Most people are afraid to even think about it. But that's what's silly. I am going to die, but not today. Today I'm going to live. It may nudge you into seeing and doing something you would not normally do because of that thought. And that's what you want. To capture that glimpse and those internal feelings of aliveness. Remember, when you're dead and gone, you can't spend any of that money or vacation time that's in your bank account. Accept death and then accept life. Today is all you have to work with, so make it count. And the third thing is to surrender. Surrender your life. Stop fighting who you are. You are unique in all the universe. There's no one like you. Stop trying to be someone else. Stop putting on airs. Stop pretending. Accept who you are right now, your limitations, and everyone else's and their limitations. 
See past all your self-judgments. You've heard the idea of love yourself first. Well, accepting who you are and being authentic about it to the world and showing that you do love yourself and all your flaws and limitations creates a glow, a genuine spark of life. That's a whole other conversation about living an authentic life and the personal power that brings and how to go about it. But it helps if you practice mindfulness, soaking up all the sensory pleasures that surround you. Mindfulness is kind of a new word that gets tossed around these days without people really knowing what it means. But the idea is to embrace everything. Look at the birds, the leaves on the trees. Look more closely than you ever have before. The amazing tapestry of life all around you that we mostly sleepwalk through. The colors and the smells are not something to be taken for granted. What are you focusing on anyway these days? Remember, it's not what you look at that matters, it's what you see. The eyes can't see if the mind is blind. So open up. Was Joe Banks, the Tom Hanks character in the movie, really any different than he was seeing the moon rise for the first time than that soulless poor fool working in the factory? Not really. What had changed was his perspective of the world he was experiencing. He was just seeing for the first time what was always there. At the end of the movie, after they get blown out of the volcano and are floating on the ocean again on those steamer trunks, Meg Ryan tells him he never really had a brain cloud. It was all made up. And then asks, I wonder where we'll end up. And he answers, as far away from the things of man as possible. Why is that significant? Because that's where you'll most often find your aliveness. Let me close by playing that final clip. Mm. You mean he yeah. set me up? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't have a brain cloud. I'm relieved. That's great. I'm saved. <laughs> But still. No, well, what, what, what is it now? We're on a raft. There's no land in sight. I don't know. It's always going to be something with you, isn't it, Joe? Yeah. I wonder where we'll end up. Hell, away from the things of man, my love. Away from the things of man. is a power that lies dormant within each of us, a creative force waiting to be awakened. Potentials of mind science barely understands. Harnessing the energies of consciousness is the next chapter in human evolution. Join us as we explore the secrets of mind and the technology and people behind the revolution. This is the Mind Warrior Project. This is Zygon.